For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So the crucial thing to know to make sense of um, this passage in Ephesians, these verses I just read, is that in the first century, Jews despised Gentiles. And not without reason, um, it was in their recent memory, a Gentile king who had defiled the temple in the time of the Maccabees. Remember, set up um, these um, profane uh, sacrifices. And even in their own day, there was the present Roman occupation, these Gentile Romans bossing them around, claiming governmental authority over the land, which was given to them by God's promise. And customs that had, for, had long since the, the law of Moses been forbidden to Jews were very commonplace among the Gentiles. And so, um, thing, I mean, first and foremost, uh, idol worship, right? The Jews ne- had no idols because God forbade them. The Gentiles had an enormous amount of idols everywhere. The Jews were forbidden from eating pork, and pork was the Romans' favorite meat. They ate it as much as they could. They, I mean, as much as a southerner loves barbecue. They, that was how much Romans loved also um, swine flesh. So in the eyes of the Jews, the Gentiles around them were just these filthy barbarians. And so, um, in, for zealous Jews, like the Pharisees are one example of this, they would set up all kinds of fences to sort of distinguish very clearly, look, these are, we are the pure Jews and they are the impure Gentiles. So, and, and these fences, they became very elaborate. I actually discovered an author, I, just wonder, I don't usually do this, but I wanted to just, the, the quotations caught me in my tracks rather than paraphrase. I wanted to read to you directly. Um, there's this fellow, uh, Dr. Adersheim. He was raised Jewish in the 19th century and uh, became an Anglican priest. I didn't know that. Um, so this is, this is to give like a tiny sna- snapshot of um, the way the Jews viewed themselves over and against the Gentiles. Outside the land, meaning like the Holy Land, everything was darkness and death. The very dust of a heathen country was unclean and it defiled by contact. It was regarded like a grave or like the putrescence of death. If a spot of heathen dust had touched an offering, it must at once be burnt. More than that, if by mischance any heathen dust had been brought into Palestine, it did not and could not mingle with that of the land, but remained to the end what it had been, unclean, defiled, and defiling everything to which it adhered. Talk about dividing wall of hostility. Check this out. So terrible was the intolerance that a Jewish woman was actually forbidden to give help to her heathen neighbor when about to become a mother. Milk drawn from a cow by heathen hands, bread and oil prepared by them, might indeed be sold to strangers, but not used by Israelites. No pious Jew would, of of course, have sat down at the table of a Gentile. If a heathen were invited to a Jewish house, he's not allowed to be left alone in the room else every article of food or drink on the table was henceforth to be regarded as unclean. I had a longer thing, but 
I mean, that, that's an extreme fence, right, between Jew and Gentile. So when Paul says um, this dividing wall of hostility, that's what he's referring to. And it was, that was the direction of the Jew to the Gentile. Imagine how this looked from the perspective of the Romans, from the Gentiles. Here's this conquered people, subjugated, always with these holier-than-thou heirs. Like, they're the perfect people, even though they haven't even been able to maintain their own sovereignty. The, in the eyes of the Gentile Romans, the Jews were just sort of this object of ridicule. Look at these crazy people, like, not eating the best, the yummiest meat that there is, um, following all these rules. It's a dividing wall of hostility. And there were political reasons, you know, there's, there's political motives for this hostility, there's inherited history, but the root of it all is the, the fence that was created by the law, the law that God gave, the law that is good. And when we look at the law of Moses, as we're going to be uh, unpacking over the next two years in our new adult ed, a little plug there, um, uh, st- starting tonight at 4 p.m. Um, here. Um, we, when we look at the law, some of the law are sort of plainly moral, like there's... Um, you know, thou shalt not murder, right? They're in the Big Ten Commandments. I know my, my uh, recently confirmed know that. Thou shalt not murder. Um, some are sort of in-house things, like here's the sacrifices you offer at the tabernacle, and some govern daily sort of domestic life, like um, circumcision um, or not eating of pork. And so it was these sort of domestic daily things that were really conspicuous in St. Paul's day, that if you sat down to the table, who's eating meat, who's not? That became like this really strong badge of Jewish identity against Gentile. And circumcision was perhaps the biggest one. It's like, are you circumcised as a male? Then you're Jewish if you're, and, and you're clean. And if you're not, you're unclean. So even when Jewish men followed Jesus as the Messiah, you can see how these would be a hard thing to let go of. Right? You've been trained and entrenched in this division between Jew and Gentile from, the, from, the day, from day eight, right? You're circumcised on the eighth day. Had a hard time letting these things go. So much so that, just to kind of bring together different pieces of the New Testament, you'll remember from the letter to the Galatians, Christians of Jewish origin were actually urging Gentile Christians to to get circumcised as adults. Right? Okay, I know you've been baptized, but now you need to get circumcised. Right? So, not not letting go of this Jewish ordinance. St. Paul's letter to the Galatians brought that to an end. But even still, Ephesians written um, some decades after Galatians, um, probably. Um, even still, what we see is that those Christians who had a Jewish origin had an air of superiority, right? We are the, the circumcised Christians. You're the uncircumcised Christians. Like, I know we're all saved by grace and all that, but, but really we're the special ones. We are, we, you're, even your very bodies reveal that you at some point have been tainted by worldliness. So this hostility remained even in the Christian church. If you're tracking with me so far, a lot of history pieces kind of here. Okay. So this hostility is what Paul sets out to kill. Actually, better than that. It's the hostility that Christ Jesus already killed. That's what, Paul, that's what St. Paul says in Ephesians. If only the Jewish Christians would recognize it. That everything about Jesus' death on the cross just blew the old covenant ordinances out of the water. So Jewish men had a small part of their body cut eight days after they were born. Christ's whole body was cut and wounded for our sake. Jewish men had their foreskin cut off. Christ, this is the same word, was cut off from the Father on the cross. In every way, Christ's self-offering on the cross superseded the offerings of the Old Covenant. So what that did is it rendered Christ's death, it renders all of the old distinguishing markers, pork, Sabbath, kosher, 
um, obsolete, insignificant. To rely on something like her circumcision after this has happened, Christ's death on the cross, um, it's sort of like an adult who brags about like a middle school accomplishment. It's like, oh, that, you didn't get the memo, that doesn't matter anymore. No one cares what you did in middle school. I mean, it feels very important when you're there. But when you're an adult, <laughs> thankfully, it's all, it all fades into the background. <laughs> As most all adults will testify. So, but that's what the Jews are doing, the Jewish Christians, when they're saying, oh, my circumcision is valuable. It's like, what? How can you say that? And I think, as I was pondering this passage, um, why is it, this is in Scripture not just as this sort of historical curiosity about Jew and Gentile coming together in Christ. This is a perennial temptation for Christians, right, to find something where we can say, I know we're all Christians here, but really we're the extra clean, extra special Christians. A vain identity marker that divides. So just real quick, and I, I, maybe the Lord has brought something to your mind concretely in that, that fill, fits that bill. But some things that came to mind is one thing I think we, um, we tend to over-moralize courtesy, right? And we make that sort of, I mean, one thing, maybe this is because I struggle with punctuality. Maybe this is why this comes first to mind. But, you know, punctuality is a good, but it's not a moral good necessarily. At least that's what I try and convince the people I show up late for. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we, t- we take cultural things and we sort of elevate them to the status of morality. Like whatever's the way we do it in the sort of, at any level of culture, right? Your own family, sort of your state, your sort of European or whatever your ethnicity, like heritage is that you've got. Whatever cultural thing that you do, we think, well, this is the really right way. And those other Christians, that's just kind of less than what, how we do it. We do it with parenting styles. And maybe, again, close to my mind because I have little kids, but... You know, we say, well, this parenting style, this is the way the really clean Christians do it. You know, we make these dividing walls. Churchmanship, I've heard, it pains me. I, lo- I mean, you know I love the Anglican way, but it pains me when, if there's ever a superiority, like, oh, Anglicanism is so much better than those Baptists. It's like, no, like, we don't want dividing walls of hostility. Right? We've been united in Christ Jesus. It's one of the things I love about this um, old, old pastor of every church of God, he's 87 and been in the ministry 64 years, um, is that he recognizes that. Part of why they're so welcoming to us to come over there is he's like, we're all part of the same church. We're all, we've all been cleansed by the same blood of the same Christ. And I was like, amen, brother. Thank you. So anyway, so be on guard for these sort of micro divisions, these vanities that we set up that divide. Now, even apart from sort of this argument at the level of logic, right, of sort of this priority of identity, the Jewish blooded Christians in Paul's day evidently could have said, yeah, Paul, I, I get it. This is really the more important. But this is the law. Right? This is written down on the pages of Torah. God told us forever to circumcise, to not eat pork, you know, to keep the Sabbath, etc. How can we let go of these ceremonies? And here, God speaks through St. Paul to unpack. Remember, Jesus said that great cryptic phrase when he says, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. It's like, yeah, but... How, well, how does that play out when you have, you know, 2,000 pages of, of law <laughs> written in the Old Testament? Well, this is what God, speak, God sort of unpacks. He offers us the interpretation through Paul's words here. The law itself, the law as a law. I love this phrase. This translation is marvelous. As commandments expressed in ordinances has been dissolved. Been, that, that actually has been abolished in the broken body of Christ on the cross. It's true for the ceremonial law. Um, and this is actually why 
Paul has to clarify, even when he's addressing, he says, those who, um, are, uncircumcised in the, who are circumcised in the flesh, because as we know from Colossians, Christians were already calling baptism the new circumcision. In Colossians, it's called the circumcision of Christ, available not just to men, but to men and women. So he, Paul actually has to backtrack and say, yeah, fleshly circumcision, right? So these ceremonial things have been fulfilled and the ceremonial law of the Old Testament has been superseded by the sacraments of the church. That's kind of a thesis statement, so I'll say it again. The ceremonial law of the Old Testament has been superseded by the sacraments of the church. But actually, and I sort of want to reveal my heart to you, this was sort of a fresh insight for me this week where I feel like I've heard this for years and I've never understood it. Not just the ceremonial law, but even the moral law even the, the law as law, as commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, even those have been broken apart and dissolved in Christ Jesus. The essence of the Christian life isn't about rule keeping, right? It's not like here's the law and now we have to follow it. The essence of the Christian life is about relating to God in prayer through Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus already kept all the rules perfectly, and we are now in him. That's the phrase we hear over and over again in Ephesians. We are in him. So by his grace, we are accounted as perfect law keepers, even though we are not perfect law keepers. So the actual yardstick in this life and the next on Judgment Day, on Judgment Day, God's not going to pull up the, I'm speaking in kind of a rough image, like the, the commandments of the Old Testament and say, okay, let's see how you did. Right? The question is, do you have faith in Christ Jesus? That's the yardstick. That's the, the radical message that it took 40 years of apostolic preaching right, to sort of unfold the fullness of what Christ meant when he said he didn't come to abolish, but he did come to fulfill the law as law. Rules are now no longer the thing. In Christ Jesus, in fact, we have an infinitely higher standard of morality, far exceeding the law. I love how it says in Galatians, for the things that the Spirit calls us to do, namely to love, first and foremost, there's no law that could prescribe that. We could ask the Lord, there's no law that can prescribe love. We've been, the, the bar has been raised, and we've been lifted up to it in Christ Jesus. Now, I, I've been terrified of this very message that I just said for the last seven years. <laughs> because I always worry that, well, won't I then just run away and just start breaking, the, breaking God's laws and just, and just plunge into sin? I mean, there's a part of my flesh that hears a message as radical as Ephesians and says, wait, the law isn't, doesn't stand as law anymore? Nice. Now I can get away with some stuff, right? But that's clearly my flesh talking. And if, if you hear that voice, that's your flesh. And what I would challenge you as I challenge myself is that as long as that's my thought, that yes, now I can go sin, I have not rightly apprehended who Christ is right, and how much he loves us. But if I look with faith at Christ in heaven, how could I, who gave himself for me, how could I then be like, oh, thanks, Jesus, I'm just going to go indulge in some like, self-dishonoring, destructive sins. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. The spirit in you doesn't want to do that. Now, down in the flesh, there'll be moments. But the spirit in you doesn't want wants to return love for love and honor Christ back. So the radical message, and, the, it, and I, I think what we see through the course of the New Testament is it's, it's hot as fire, 
right? Then people, Paul's, the whole letter of the Corinthians is him trying to say, you've misunderstood what I'm saying, right? When they're like running in with this freedom that we have in Christ, no longer under the law. They run with it towards the flesh. And Paul's like, no, by no means, by no means, stop. <laughs> you haven't understood what I'm saying. So it's, it's something to be careful about, but it is the radical message of the gospel. We're no longer under the law. You've actually already been forgiven. And on judgment day, it's not the law that you'll be accountable to. It's the face of Jesus. Have you heard about his love? Well, now you're accountable for that. That is the new metric, infinitely higher than the standard that the law set. And yet also infinitely freer. Because who can keep the law? Nobody. Who can keep the law? Who could keep, who could keep the law of Christ? Nobody. But we are in him and found in him. So the very last thing I want to say on that is, in the same way we're not to do like the Jewish Christians in the first century and sort of set up these vanity markers in the church, we're also not supposed to do, we're not supposed to do that for morality. Even though, clearly, someone who is living in adultery or is doing murders or is sinning in any way, they're disobeying God. And this is not pleasing to God. And if unrepented of, will be of great danger. But we're to stop judging ourselves as better than others, right? That in the face of Jesus' death and self-offering, how can we say, well, I've kept a few more of the moral laws than this other Christian in the pews, right? I don't have that in my past. Right? We, we do that. And the great message of the gospel is if you've apprehended it rightly, there's no room for that. Like, like bragging about middle school accomplishments. Oh, you did a few less egregious sins in some phase of your life? What? What? Christ has abolished the law as commandments, and we are found in him, recipients of a free gift of forgiving grace. And that's where we get unity from. That's what Paul keeps harping on. Jew and Gentile have been reconciled, one in Christ Jesus. All Christians, we are one body. And anybody who comes in this doors and anybody who professes Christ Jesus and has been baptized in his name, we are one church. And there's no room for superiority. Christ has become our peace, our peace with God, and therefore our peace with each other. All glory be to him forever and ever. Amen.